Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. You know, we featured pretty much every type of diet and superfood on this show, from fasting to keto, vegan to paleo, and every expert shares why their diet can help us live a longer and healthier life. Our guest today is science journalist Marta Zaraska, and she's discovered it's not just diet and exercise that determines our longevity, it's having a strong support network of family and friends. In fact, research shows having a support network lowers mortality risk by 45%. Now, to give you a comparison, exercise only lowers mortality risk by 23%. Eating six servings of fruits and veggies per day can cut the risk of dying early by 26%. So if you want to improve your health and extend your lifespan, the answer may not lie at the end of your fork or achieved from running on a treadmill, but rather through friendships, practicing empathy and kindness. Don't go anywhere. This thought-provoking, life-extending segment starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a renowned science journalist. She's written about nutrition and psychology for the Washington Post, Scientific America, The Atlantic, The Los Angeles Times, News Scientist, and several other publications. She is the author of Meat Hooked, The History and Science of Our Two-and-a-Half-Million-Year Obsession with Meat, which was chosen by the journal Nature in 2016 as one of the best science picks. Her new book is called Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Welcome to the show, Marta Zaraska. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so great to have you in this show. First, share with us what inspired you to write this unique book, Growing Young. So it came out quite naturally from research I was doing for my work. As you've mentioned, I write for several science publications, like Scientific American, for example, and I was writing for them and for other publications, like Washington Post, about psychology and, 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 uh, and, uh, and nutrition and health in general for many, many years. And uh, I was also quite interested in health myself. I was always following all these healthy diets and staying on top of things, well, as you mentioned yourself before, all the paleo, keto, and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the same time, I was reading more and more research coming across it, uh, showing me that maybe I wasn't really concentrating or fixating on the right things because uh, there was just so much of it, you know, and I, was, and I was talking to scientists as well. And what I've learned after hundreds and hundreds of studies, I've read that it completely shattered my previous assumption that diet and exercise are the only ways to get healthy and live long. And that maybe I was putting too much effort in all these superfoods and, and supplements and, right. uh, and diet and so on, and completely forgetting a very important other part of our longevity and health, which was exactly friendship, optimism, and kindness. Right. You know, I've interviewed Dan Butner twice on the show who researched the blue zones, which are cultures around the world that live to be 100 years and beyond. And he endorsed your book, which takes on a different perspective, looking at people that live to be 100. Share what you found when you've compared cultures that live with more friendship, optimism, and kindness. Exactly. But, you know, the same cultures that that Dan was writing in his book uh, in Blue Zones about, so, for example, the Italians or the Japanese, they actually really acknowledge this thing that having a purpose in life, having 
strong social connections is extremely important for health. So, for example, when I was talking to scientists in Japan, when I was traveling there for, for researching my book, one of the very thing, first things they usually mentioned was having purpose in life as a strategy to be healthy and live long. Whereas when I was talking to Western scientists, they were usually talking about telomeres and cellular aging and diet and exercise and, and things like purpose in life almost never appeared right. on the list. So they really acknowledge that. They really recommend. They even have their health ministry of Japan actually considers having purpose in life as their health strategy. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I shared some statistics in the intro how creating a network of friends and family is more important for longevity than diet and exercise. Share with us why why is that the case? In other words, is is you know it's better, I guess, to eat healthy among a bunch of friends than eat a healthy meal alone, right? <laughs> Exactly what I'm saying, you know, and sometimes, you know, we are so into those diets that it's better to eat, for example, a reasonably healthy meal uh, with your friends than some super healthy organic kale salad with green smoothie all alone in your car. Right. Uh, so, so definitely, you know, if something has to give, uh, then definitely it should not be your friendships and social connections. And the reason for that is because we are social apes. We evolved to be with others. We are social species. And we have several physiological systems that don't function properly when we are alone and when we are outside of our tribe. Yeah, and you know, we've heard all these stories of or know somebody that's been married for over 50 years and they lose their spouse and shortly after this they get sick and end up dying too. Share with us how our broken heart and loneliness can have such an influence on our life. Oh, totally. You know, this widower syndrome is actually something that's totally recognized by science. And basically, within the first week of your spouse's death, the risk of your own death is the highest. So, so there is nothing, there is nothing mysterious about it. It's absolutely physiological, right. and uh, and generally, so, you know, loneliness and social isolation are really bad for our health. So, one study done in California showed, for example, that people who are socially isolated are two and a half to three times more likely to die prematurely than people who are surrounded by other people and who are not isolated. So, this is really even for our immune system. The not being socially isolated is extremely important. Yeah, so your book is about how staying connected with people improves our lifespan. I would imagine all this social distancing would do the opposite that we're enduring right now. Actually, unfortunately, you're right. The social distancing, whereas it's absolutely necessary to prevent the spread of the virus. And here in France, I was isolating very strictly for a very long time. But, uh, but the truth is that for, from the perspective of our bodies and how they react to being surrounded by others, it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing because uh, even our immune systems don't function properly when we are all alone and feeling lonely. So we really have to find other ways to connect, to you know, maybe hug more the people with whom you already live in your family just just try to get it as much as you can in safe ways yeah i agree and i think that that you know once this passes i hope that people aren't afraid to hug and shake hands again uh that's so important for our immune system i just did a segment on that that you know we, we need certain germs in our life and we can't be afraid of people we can't look at them forever as petri dishes stay away exactly. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, we don't need a future of that let me ask you this when, when you say in your book you talk about we need more friends to be healthier and live longer how many friends should somebody have if they want to live to a hundred is there a certain number? 
that's a question I'm often asked, and there is no number. So the only thing that's really important is for you to feel that there are people out there on whom you can always count. And for some people, there will be only one really good friend. Others may need as many as five or even seven. So it's really hard to tell. But definitely, this has to be high-quality friendships. So it, ca- it doesn't count if you have 100 people, but you cannot really count on any of them. You have to have someone, if you get sick, who will be there for you. So it's not the, the 1,500 friends that people have on Facebook that they've never meet, don't know, and that could even be a fake photo. <laughs> no, that doesn't count, unfortunately. That, that doesn't count. That's great. Now, your book shows how acts of kindness can extend our life. Would that include everything from, like, dog sitting your neighbor to volunteering at a charity event? Is there certain acts of kindness that, that, that make us have more longevity? Oh, totally. So volunteers have higher, lower risk of high blood glucose, for example, or they spend less night in hospitals. It really, really boosts your health, and uh, and they even have uh, less inflammation in their bodies. So, so it's really, really good for your health. And the same with even simple acts of kindness, as you mentioned, sitting your neighbor's dog. Uh, I even did a kind of experiment on myself with collaboration with one university in London um, when we measured my stress hormone cortisol when, on the days when I was doing acts of kindness on the days when I was not doing. And it really right. showed me how, how amazingly it really counteracts stress to do acts of kindness. Yeah, and I interviewed William Shatner, who's heading toward 90, and I said, what makes you so happy, productive, and active in life? And that's what he said, acts of kindness. He says he, he does charity work, and he wakes up, and he has a purpose. He feels good he's doing for others, and, you know, he wasn't always that way, but he learned. He lived and learned. I love that that interview. It's so true. Let me ask you this. When I grew up, we ate at the table with family, and we went outside, and we played sports with our friends. Nowadays, kids, they've got these computers and smartphones and video games, and they've lost connection with people. They play sports, but now it's on a computer screen instead of with their friends or playing sports with somebody across the world on the computer. Do you think this is shortening the lifespan of our new generations? Oh, that's totally scary when I think about that. It's, it's certainly nothing good because there is so much research showing that you know spending your time on phones and tablets, uh, it really messes up with our quality of our relationships. And also what you said about eating at a table, how important that is. So, for example, in the United States, uh, only 24% of middle-aged Americans eat uh, dinner with their family, and in the data, it's not, not even specified if they are doing it while watching TV. Whereas, for example, in France, when I, where I live, it's 61% who, who eat every day at a, t- at a table, so no, no TV, with family. And, you know, we often talk about Mediterranean diet as this kind of um, holy grail of uh, proper uh, living for, for health, whereas we, often, we always concentrate on what they eat, so all the olive oil and, you know, the vegetables, but we don't talk that it's also about how you, how you eat, with whom you eat, that uh, in those countries like, you know, the blue zones of Sardinia, in Italy, in Spain, in France, people eat with others. They, they take their time. They really connect. And so it's not just about the olive oil. It's also about the connection. Yeah, it's a social, it's a social event eating, you know, with family and like you said, in certain areas of the world. And it, it's not just to, to chow down to you have to loosen your belt buckle like we do here in America in front of our favorite TV show. It's so true. Let me ask you this, you know, when, when I misbehaved and I was punished as a kid, my parents sent me to my room. Today, a punishment for kids is forcing them to go outside. It's completely <laughs> changed. You know, they want to be inside. That's not punishment. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's really sad. You know, the punishment that you got actually was quite painful from biological perspective because so-called ostracism, so being exactly you know told to go away from 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 the social event, uh, has actually health effects on us, physiological effects. You know, it's so painful for us as a the social ape to be thrown out of the tribe. Exactly. Talk to us about relationships and marriage. I know a lot of people are living together instead of getting married. From a health perspective, is shacking up just as healthy as holy matrimony? It really depends. So in most studies, it's not, but it's only because it's all about commitment. So if you are living together without this paper, the document itself, but you really are committed to staying together uh, till death do us part, then you are fine, then you have all the benefits as well. But if you are just living together but kind of undecided and you don't really know what you're doing, then it unfortunately it doesn't have the same benefits as a committed, really committed relationship. Right. That's a good answer. You know, one thing that you discuss in your book that I find interesting is how having a clean desk can play a role in longevity. Now, I'm looking at a pretty cluttered desk right now. Am I doomed? Am I doomed? <laughs> no, you're not doomed, although it's true that conscientiousness is a really, really good thing for your health. Actually, out of all personality traits, is the, most, the one that's most connected to longevity and health. But the good news is that... Uh, all personality traits and conscientiousness in particular can be worked on. Uh, even if you have some genes that are acting against you, still there is something that can be changed. It can be built like, like you exercise, you know, when you want mm -hmm. to build some muscles, you just repeat certain exercises. And the same with conscientiousness. If you just fake it until you make it, basically. So you, you just force yourself to clean your desk. You force yourself to come on time to meetings. It becomes a habit and becomes actually part of your personality. So it can be, it can be changed. Yeah, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I didn't hear. I was cleaning my desk. Uh, you, you were saying? <laughs> I'm getting it clean up as we're talking. I'm looking around here. I think I just gained maybe six more months just from talking to you by cleaning my desk. That's great. Talk. What about introverts and extroverts? I'm curious, do antisocial people not live as long as outgoing movers and shakers do? I wonder if there's been any studies on that. That really depends what you exactly. If you if by introverts you mean antisocial, then that's not good. But if by introverts you mean someone who has less friends in numbers but still of a very high quality, then this person will be still okay. So it's perfectly fine to just have one friend with whom you hang out and who is really there for you. Uh, you don't have to have hundreds of friends, but uh, it's really about this feeling of being connected and having your social needs satisfied. But if you are antisocial, then, then this is not good. That is not good. That makes sense. I know in your book you discuss why line dancing is better for our health than dancing with a partner. Is this why the rock cats live so much longer than other dancers? <laughs> That's actually pretty fascinating. It's, uh, it's to do with synchrony. And uh, when we do things in synchrony with others, so it can be marching or line dancing or choir singing, for example, uh, then our bodies release en uh, endorphins. Uh, and these are the chemicals that also help us more be, uh, become more resistant to pain and also make us feel better and more connected to others. And this really boosts the health effects of being with others people so if you are generally dancing makes us feel good and connected but right. if you dance in synchronous all this macarena and whatever it makes you feel even better and there are physiological effects exactly this endorphins giving you this health boost 
Yeah. I love how you really focus, which I want to talk about is purpose. You know, we got to have a purpose in life. We live longer and healthier. And, and I'm that way. And, you know, with this COVID thing, everything was kind of shut down and all my goals got kind of cut. And, you know, I've been feeling kind of depressed. I, I don't have the, you know, the purpose, the speaking events, I, you know, the, the, the publishers are closed and my book was shut down. It was like, man, I, I have no purpose because that's what I wake up and I thrive for. Make a difference in this world. Share some inspiring stories. Share, you know, uh, you know, motivational tips and, and it was shut down. So with, with purpose, what do you recommend? Do you meant, recommend as, as easy as having a vacation to look forward to in six months or having something, you know, that your kids are going to do when, what you're going to do when they go out of college? How far in advance should we have purpose? I mean, the purpose is about something else, some kind of reason for living. And this is what the Japanese called ikigai. And, uh, and this is something that makes you get up in the morning and just enjoy your life. So people usually find this in exactly in, in parenting or uh, in changing the world for the better, even in small ways, right? Uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in volunteering, in building the community or, you know, running a bakery to make people happy by selling cookies, things like that. So anything that makes you feel that your your life has makes sense, basically, you then, then that's that's good. And usually, usually vacation is is not that. It's just uh, something more of a reason for living. Yeah, that's true. Some, something to look for. I think people need something to look forward to. We get stuck in this hamster wheel, this routine, routine, same old, same old. I think that kind of hinders our life. I think we've got to have, uh, you know, a ship at sea will never develop barnacles, but a ship sitting still at dock will. I think mm-hmm. when we're stagnant, we develop mental barnacles or we develop spinal barnacles and joints and movement. Movement's the key mentally, physically as well. So, so I like that you're tapping into that. In the uh, couple minutes we have left, is there anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover? today so one thing i i'm i'm often asked by people is uh or what people tell me when they hear especially the title of my book and they say i don't want to live to hundreds you know it's not fun to live to hundreds because you're all, all old and sickish and so on and so on and and actually what i reply to that is that it's actually a very common misconception that uh, when people live long they also end up being sick for a long time it's actually the opposite so imagine that the typical person who lives to be 80 years old will spend about 18% of their time on earth sick or ridden by disease, whereas super centenarians, so those people who live to be 110 or more, actually only spend 5% of their time on earth sick. And one of 10, of 10 super centenarians actually escaped disease until the last three months of their lives. So you live to be 110 and you are only sick for last three months. Can you imagine that? It's just amazing. So actually, the longer we live, the longer we also have good health. So those two things go together. It's not like that the longer you live, the longer you'll suffer. Yeah, and you bring up such a good point. We're supposed to die in our sleep. We're not supposed to die in a hospital bed. And, you know, the, the studies of the people that live to be 100 and healthy, that's what they do. They die naturally. It's not, it was, it was funny because I had a, a, a patient that uh, came in and his father passed away and someone in the waiting room heard it and he's, he died at 96 and he says, oh my God, what happened? What did he die of? And he looked at him and said, old age. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't. Ha- we're assumed that our we're programmed to think. All right, did he have cancer? Did he get? You know, we're we're waiting for this big doom and gloom disease that he's suffering. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to die healthy, happy toward the end, and then and, and then just not wake up. And that's kind of that my goal. And I think that's the you know as you mentioned, you can live to be a hundred healthy, and then and then you know and then 
fulfill your purpose, your love in life, your hugs, your social gatherings, and then uh, pass away. And I think that, you know, I'm shooting for 106. What's your goal? What do you want to live to? I actually haven't thought of that, you know, but definitely the 100 would be certainly nice. And, um, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> gotta ha- hey, we got to have affirmations and write it down and focus on it. So 106, my goal. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You've definitely created some food for thought that transcends beyond the kind we put into our mouths. So very great topic. And to learn more about Marta and to get her new book, Growing Young, go to Growing Young, the book. Dot com. You can follow Marta on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at M. Zaraska, and that's spelled Z-A-R-A-S-K-A. And for my daily health tweets and Facebook posts, follow me at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Marta share something today that somebody you know needs to hear, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. And while they're perusing, our podcast library and share segments of interest with friends, family, co-workers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned, stay well, and live to over 100. Thanks. <laughs>